Jesus is alive and we are celebrating. Even if we have a barrier between us of distance all across the globe, we are celebrating that Jesus is alive. A pandemic cannot stop a global celebration of the greatest news that has ever hit history. Jesus has conquered sin, he has conquered death, and he is alive and he's here to be with us today. Today is an unusual day. Never in my lifetime have I experienced an Easter where we didn't gather in person and celebrate together. So in a new day, with God doing a new thing, when we are celebrating over the distance barriers, we're starting a new series called Barriers. We're going to be tackling some of the hardest questions that people uh, believe are barriers to their faith, and we're going to be taking a look at four questions. First, the series description. Nearly everyone has encountered hard questions about what followers of Jesus believe. These hard questions become barriers between people and God. But what if there are answers that can transform barriers that block our way into signposts that point the way? The four barriers that we're going to be looking at in the next four weeks are these. So today we'll be looking at how could a loving God allow so much suffering? What an appropriate barrier to tackle as we see massive amounts of suffering coming in uh, statistics before us every day. And it just seems like it's growing and growing and we feel overwhelmed. Great question. How can a loving God allow so much suffering? The second barrier is how can you say there is only one true faith? The third barrier is hasn't science disproved the Bible? And the fourth barrier, how could a loving God send people to hell? Now, just in case you uh, have been invited to uh, view this message and uh, you're in your own living room looking at it or you have joined a friend and looking at it and you are not sure you know what you believe about Jesus or you're pretty sure what you believe about Jesus is a little different than what we just, just declared and what we believe. If that's you and these topics interest you or whether you're just checking things out, we're really glad that you've joined us today. We really are. Because I hope that these barriers that have caused some distance between you and, and God could be uh, something we help with some answers that maybe make them a little bit smaller for you, for you to consider the realities that we're talking about. Our church is all about helping people from wherever they are take steps to where God wants them to be. And that's true about me. Every time we get together, I'm trying to take steps. Every time I come before God, I'm trying to draw near to him and grow and learn from him. And for those that are not sure about God, it's true for you as well. You may have a negative eight, negative nine feeling towards God. I pray that today might be a day that that negative number gets smaller. And maybe someday you'll get to the place where you begin to think, I need to check him out more seriously. So welcome. We're going to tackle this hard question. What is it? How could a loving God allow so much suffering? Now, it feels like a really weighty question, and it is. It feels like a question that has the power to torpedo our faith. It feels like a barrier that is insurmountable. If he is almighty and he is so loving, that just doesn't seem to make sense that he'd allow what we're going through and allow so much suffering all through history. 
in the way that we look at it. The question even becomes more weighty when we feel the suffering ourselves, when we don't understand and we are crying out to God and it just seems like he is not there. Well, you know, I don't think that this question has the ability to truly torpedo a faith in Jesus. And one of the reasons why is because of what Jesus says and because of what Jesus did. So let's start with Jesus. Let's start in the Gospel of John in something Jesus said on the night before he's crucified. He said this in John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. So it's no surprise to Jesus that there's this much suffering and it doesn't cause his faith to diminish that there is this much suffering he just simply affirms it in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world so jesus tells us to expect trouble and jesus actually proclaims something that is in the biblical worldview that's very common that trouble and suffering and problems and pain is to be expected in the biblical worldview if you look page by page by page it's filled with trouble, filled with suffering. Even among those who are seeking God and loving God, they're experiencing the pain and trouble of this world. But they're also showing us how to live out a faith that makes a huge difference. What is new about Jesus' teaching here is that he's saying, I have overcome the world. He's using language that almost looks at this whole business of suffering as a battle, a battle that he has overcome. And in a sense, that is precisely what has taken place. We live in a world where a battle continues to rage. It's a battle for our hearts, a battle for our minds, a battle for the direction in which we will aim ourselves on how we view what's taking place. And Jesus says, I have come and I have overcome the world. So take heart. Point number one is this. Suffering gets our attention. When you suffer, you can't ignore it. It doesn't matter if it's your little toe. It's like, oh, I didn't even know I had a little toe. It just gets your attention. Suffering is like a megaphone that forces you to pay attention to pain. And when it hits you personally, the megaphone is very loud. The question is, who holds the megaphone? And what message are you hearing? When Jesus speaks about suffering, it's like he carries this megaphone that cuts right through the noise and speaks right to our soul and it feels so authentic and it feels so right and he never sugarcoats it. He simply presents the reality as it is and presents a hope for us that we need to pay attention to. And suffering does get our attention. So, Hopefully, I have your attention as the world has our attention right now in a pandemic, in a lot of suffering. And I hope that if you are suffering, you don't feel this to be something that's like a slap, something that's just approaching you as if it's a philosophy, but you hang on to hope in a way that's comforting. And that's what we'll discover together today. Suffering gets our attention. Point number two we're going to talk about when Jesus waits. We're going to enter into a scene that is very personal. It's one thing to talk about suffering far away and distant. 
It's another thing when it hits our own lives. And we're going to see that sometimes Jesus does wait. Sometimes it feels disappointed. The quick fix isn't coming, the one that we wanted, and we're going to enter into a scene that's like that. The scene we'll enter into is a funeral scene, actually. It's in the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 11. Before we get to the funeral, I want us to jump into the story by looking at two verses that occur back to back. And it seems like there's a tension between these two verses that they just don't fit together right. And here's how these verses go. John eleven five we read, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we have siblings, Martha and her sister, Mary, who's named later, and Lazarus. They lived in Bethany. They were very close friends of Jesus. Jesus spent uh, time at their home over and over again. And they have seen Jesus in action repeatedly. They've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen Jesus even raise people from the dead. They've seen Jesus do miracles from a distance. And so when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus gets very ill and they're afraid for his life, they call 911. They send a messenger to go get Jesus. But the very next verse is so odd, it doesn't seem like it logically fits. It doesn't seem like we should read this next. Verse six, we read, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What are we talking about here? We're talking about when Jesus waits. We're talking about this huge question. How could a loving God allow so much suffering? How could a God just wait to fix it all? Why is it that sometimes there's this waiting, this suffering, and he allows it to continue on like he does? That's the question when Jesus waits. Point number three, Jesus claims to be the answer even now. In the middle of the waiting, he claims to be the answer. If we jump down in the story to verse 21, we read this when Jesus finally shows up four days after Lazarus has died and Martha approaches him. In verse 21, we read, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha's faith was like the faith of all the Jews of her day, expecting a resurrection at the end of, of time and expecting a resurrection because they're faithful and covenant to God. And, but that's not what she wanted. That felt like a platitude. That just felt like comforting words. That is not what she wanted to hear. She's seen Jesus in action. She's expecting even now, she says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And he, she's hoping even now, four days into it, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It is interesting to me that Jesus doesn't go there yet because he wants to turn her faith in a different direction. You see, when we're sufferers, we aren't philosophers. When we are suffering, we approach our suffering very personally. We're, we're not big, grown-up, 
philosophing, philosoph- philosophically approaching the suffering. Oh, it's okay. When it really hurts, no. We are more like hurting children, crying out to our Father, do something, please. That's where we live. And Jesus knows this. And so he is approaching this not with a platitude, but with an answer. But it's not one that we expect, and it's not one that most of us even understand. When we first hear it, we assume it means something, like Martha does, but she doesn't understand it. I don't think she's ready for it, but Jesus is going to bear it out for us to understand. John eleven twenty five 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, I've taught on this many, many times and I've, I've taught about how if you believe in Jesus, your old life is put to death. And by living, by believing in Jesus, you are entering into a new life, a spiritual life that continues on forever even though your physical life will cease and then you will have a spiritual life and a resurrection with a new body. Those are the big picture themes, but I often miss what Jesus is saying here because he's claiming something that's even bigger than that big picture. He's saying, I am the answer to your need right now, not the thing you're wanting. The thing you're wanting is you're wanting your brother to be raised right now and the sorrow to go away and to rejoice that he's been resurrected. But you need me more than you need your brother back. You need me more than you need this quick fix. I am the resurrection. I am the life. This thing that you want is less life than what you're asking for. The life you need is me as the answer to your sorrow. Me as the answer to your suffering. I am the answer to your need and I'm the answer right now. Martha, do you believe this? We need to ask ourselves that question. While we're suffering, are we busy asking the question and turning our faces against God and angry at him? Or do we see God as our answer in the middle of our need? The one who is the resurrection and the life and can bring life into the middle of this situation of suffering that we're experiencing. On the screen is a quote I'd like us to take a look at. Jesus says to us, this is not the time to lose your faith. This is the time to use your faith. Think about the pandemic we're in. There's so many that are struggling and fearing and faith is just getting so small. Fear is getting so large. This is not the time to lose your faith. This is the time to use your faith. This is not the time for your faith to weaken. This is the time for working your faith. If your faith is not working, is it because you're not working it? Where are you placing your faith? Where are you placing your fixation? Jesus is the only fixation that actually fixes. He says, I am the life. Do you believe this? Do you? Even if you're not ready to believe this yet, that is his claim. And it's claims like these that got him crucified. He's saying, I am the answer. You need me. 
So, all parents have experienced a little bit of what God allows us to go through. God allows us to go through some suffering because he's bringing us to something better. I've been in this situation, if you're a parent, you probably have too, where I'm literally holding down my child and allowing somebody that's almost a stranger, a doctor or a nurse, poke and prod with a needle, hurting my child that's too young to understand. And through tears and screaming, I'm trying to hold them still and comfort them while inflicting suffering upon them. They feel betrayal. They don't get it. They don't understand. And yet, what am I doing? I'm allowing suffering to take place in exchange for something better, in exchange for the cure, in exchange for the healing. A member in our congregation wrote this and gave me permission to share this story and this thought with you. Pain. It comes in many forms. Physical, mental, and emotional. Our kids are going through the growing pains phase of childhood. We have learned that sometimes when the growing pains show up, all that we, all show up, all that needs to be done is getting the child to relax, get some sleep, and in the morning the pain has gone away. Some nights, we can tell the child needs the right medicine to help relieve the pain. As the parents, it's up to us to choose the right option. One night, our daughter, after she had been put to bed, called us back into her room to inform us that her leg was hurting. My wife and I decided that this was one of those relax and get some sleep times. Our daughter disagreed with our decision. She was hoping for the quick fix of the medicine, and so she spent some time trying to convince us that her choice was the best. After a while, she called me back into her room and asked, Daddy, would you please hold my hand? How could I say no to that? She quickly fell asleep holding my hand and woke up in the morning with the pain gone. That experience got me thinking, And I have to admit, when I have had pain in my life, my first response is to ask God for the quick fix. By that I mean a prayer focused on God quickly fixing the situation or taking the pain away. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking God, who is an ever-present help in trouble, that's Psalms 46.1, to quickly remove the pain. Sometimes he does. The question is, what is my response when God decides to answer my quick medicine prayer with a be still and know that I am God? That's Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Do I try and convince him that my choice is the best? Do I focus my eyes on the pain and lose sight of God? Or like my daughter, do I call out and say, Daddy, would you please hold my hand? On that night, my daughter learned to relax and find comfort in simply knowing her father was with her. May I learn to be still and know that he is God. In the middle of the pain, may I continue to ask for his hand to hold with each growing pain in my life. Always finding comfort, simply knowing my father is with me. This dad concludes with 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, which reads, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let's jump back into the funeral scene as we proceed forward. Jesus has had this interchange with Martha. I don't think Martha really gets the powerful statements that Jesus made. He then has a more emotional interchange with Martha's sister Mary as she arrives and Jesus meets with her. She is beside herself. She is barely in control and weeping. Mourners are all around weeping with her. We read something very odd that's difficult to understand where Jesus is deeply troubled. One of the words there is even groaning in, in almost an anger. And, and then we come to what is the shortest verse of the English Bible is two words. As a kid uh, trying to earn points in a, a kids club program memorizing scripture, this would be the one I'd pick. You know, it's so easy. Two words. It's John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. It might be easy to memorize, but it's really difficult to understand what's going on here. It's obvious when you read all of John 11 that Jesus knew in advance what he was doing. He knew why he was waiting. He knew what he was going to do to bring glory to the Father. And I've already spoiled the story. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he wants to point us to a bigger answer than that first. If that's the case, why is he weeping? We learn this about Jesus. He's not the kind of God who smiles at our suffering winks at us with this smile because he knows something better is coming. He's a God who enters into our experience. He's not at a safe distance. He feels our pain. And in fact, looking at death and looking at this grief, it's not what it's supposed to be. Life is who he is. And death is an offense that he's going to overcome. And it grieves him that the whole creation is groaning, waiting for the solution. That this is a battle and it's not right, but he's going to bring an answer. Isaiah tells us a little bit about that answer. And Isaiah was written centuries before Jesus. We have even the Greek translation of it coming centuries before Jesus. So we know this to be long before Jesus was walking on the scene. We read in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Jews in Jesus' day did not know this was written about their Messiah. They knew it was a suffering servant, but they couldn't identify who this suffering servant was or why he was going to take on our pain. This mystery was solved at the cross. Jesus took up our pain and bore our 
suffering. Have you ever discovered, and it's rare, but many have discovered this, that the times when if you were to graph your life, what are the highs in your life? What are the lows in your life? The times that are the lows in your life sometimes are the times where you grew the most because you sensed God was with you. God's presence was there. There was a deep intimacy you didn't expect as you reached out to God at your lowest moments. And he was right there for you. In fact, carrying you in ways you, it was mind-blowing. The peace that you experience, the presence that you experience, the joy even in the middle of the pain that you experience, in the low point of your life, is like is the high point of your spiritual experience of knowing that God is real, God is alive, God is here, God loves me. That is what Jesus was saying. Martha, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Quit putting your face toward the answer you want. I'm the answer you need. He is claiming that for us today. But he's claiming something far bigger than just emotional support during our difficulty. He's claiming that he can deliver. And to prove it, in just moments after he is weeping and carrying the pain and carrying the burden and eventually going to carry it away from us, he says, at the entrance to the tomb, he says to the people, roll the stone away. They say, no, no, he's been dead four days. It's, it's, it's gonna stink, don't roll. He said, roll the stone away. I, I think of this as the occasion when Jesus raises a big stink because then he says, Lazarus, come out. That's John eleven forty three. And I love the fact that he names him first because there is going to be a time when Jesus returns. Paul writes in the Thessalonians letters that there will tr- a trumpet will sound and Jesus will shout like the voice of an archangel, a thunderous shout when he says, rise! And he doesn't narrow it down to one name. And all of those who are followers of Jesus Christ rise first, but everybody rises and will separate to the places that they have chosen, either to be a follower and be with Jesus or to have rejected Jesus, they're separated out. Jesus proves he has the credentials to say, I am the resurrection and the life. But you know, that proof there is not even the proof. Lazarus dies again. The real proof is what we celebrate today, that Jesus is alive. He died on the cross to bear our sin, to carry our sin away. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. And it's made possible by his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And on Saturday, Saturday, everybody's distraught. They think it's the worst thing that's ever happened. They had wasted three years. Nobody's a believer on Saturday. But on Sunday, what they thought was couldn't be the Messiah, he was killed. He is resurrected. He's alive. And he starts to show himself to crowds. He is alive. He is the overcomer. So, the next time you wonder, why all the suffering? Remember this. God is not restoring a messed up world to its original condition as described in Eden, but to something better. 
The cross was never plan B, but plan A. Because of Jesus, we can know God more intimately than Adam and Eve ever did in Eden. What could possibly be worth letting us wait and weep through suffering? Jesus' answer to this question is that he is. I used to always think, eventually, all the messed up world will be fixed and we'll enjoy paradise like Adam and Eve enjoyed paradise. No, that's not going far enough. Adam and Eve only knew God as father and perhaps friend and as creator. They never knew God as savior, fellow sufferer, as the husband of the bride of Christ, as the one who has taken us and moving us forward through the suffering as overcomers in the middle of a battle. All of those stories will be told for eternity to come and we will be shouting, Jesus, our victorious King of kings, Lord of lords, has won. He is alive. He is our overcomer and we too are more than conquerors. We are overcomers too. All across the globe, there is no barrier. We who are followers of Jesus look to him for our comfort, our strength through times of suffering. Jesus has done something to take care of it. It's not finished yet. He is doing something right now in the midst of it. He fills us with his spirit so that we feel an intimacy like we've never experienced before. And he's going to do something to complete his task. All is overcome. I have overcome the world. Take heart. We have so much to celebrate. Let's first pray together. Lord God, we thank you for overcoming sin, the disease of sin, the consequences of that disease, for becoming our vaccine, for becoming our overcomer, for becoming our life. We thank you for giving us life now, answers now, your kingdom now. Lord, for those who are just now hearing your message, perhaps for the first time, cutting right through to their heart and wondering, is it true? Help them to reach out to you. Perhaps even now, reach out to you in prayer or reach out to another believer and ask questions to continue the dialogue. Draw us to you. Allow us to be messengers of this great truth. You are alive and you have conquered and you are victorious and we are overcomers too. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we are celebrating together all kinds of good news. The good news includes the celebration of new life, people who have declared themselves as all in. Here's just an example of that on the screen. Um, but so let's start off with, uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. Awesome. Um, and do you understand that his death on the cross paid the penalty for your sin? Yes, I do. And are you ready to be buried with him and raised to walk in new life with him as the Lord of your life? Yes. Awesome. Well, Brendan, it's based on your confession of faith that I have the privilege of baptizing you today. So go ahead and you can grab your nose like that. Perfect. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, buried with him, and raised to walk in new life. How exciting it is that even though the first two Sundays that we met together 
at a distance and we weren't in person together. The first two Sundays of our online church, we had baptisms, three baptisms all together, celebrating what God is doing in people's lives. Maybe you are interested in that. You might want to talk to somebody about that and make arrangements to say, I want Jesus' life in me also and declare yourself all in. If that's you, let us know. Today is also the day that we challenged you last week to post your Jesus Changed My Life video, just a short story, your story, and post it online. We would love to have hundreds of posts go out. And if you are posting, I'm sure you'll be watching as well. Look for those videos. And if you like a video, share those videos. This is a time to get the message out there. This is the day where you can get the message of Jesus Christ, that he is alive and well and changing our lives. Let's get that message out to everybody. I'm so excited about what God is doing in our midst. I can't wait to see you next week as we continue in the barrier series and we'll tackle the next barrier week two. See you next week.